Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by David Walker of the Daily Mirror and Adrian Clark of the Premier League.com. Well, that escalated quickly. Liverpool began the month on top of the world. Now they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. A fourth home defeat in 10 days when Chelsea visit on Tuesday will equal their worst run in 94 years. Season on the line, David? I think it is, Mike, and I think it's a, a colossal change of fortune for them. Um, and I know people up in the northwest. There were even Manchester United fans a few weeks ago accepting that Jurgen Klopp had been a brilliant appointment for Liverpool. Uh, the popularity he gained both as a man and for the way his team played football. He was a hero. Um, and yet, it is a results-driven business. I've got to say, I think he brought some of this on himself with the uh, the approach he had to the FA Cup and quite why Liverpool took a, a home tie against the Championship team as an opportunity to field so many young and untried players. I think that was crazy of him, personally. He could have started with more established players, then hooked them at an hour, 70 minutes with a game one, and saved them. But anyway, Chelsea, he's got to get out there and get a result. And I've got a feeling that it is made for a Chelsea mugging up there, that they got great Italian coach. They let Liverpool have all the passion and drama and the, the cop will be banging the team forward and that it's tailor-made for a Conte team then. Mm, is Klopp basically getting a, a crash course in English football, the intensity of it, the relentlessness of it? You know, you're a hero one day, you're zero the next. Quite possibly. I think he's overestimated the quality of his squad. I think that's a big mistake on his part. I don't think the backups at Anfield are sufficient enough. Uh, the quality isn't there to, to be able to rest 9, 10 players the way that maybe Arsenal can, the way that Manchester United can and get away with it. Um, he's a world-class manager, Jurgen Klopp. I think it's, it's nonsense to say that he should be booted out of Anfield, but he needs to take a long, hard look at himself <coughs> for two reasons. The recruitment. The recruitment in the summer was was bang average, in my opinion. He needed more defensive players. Mm. He didn't sign any players, apart from Joel Matip, who, who's been pretty successful. Aside from that, he didn't bring enough quality in who are good without the ball. That's mm. part one. Part two is that tactically, where is the plan B? It's, mm. it's one way or no, it's, it's one way, and that's it. What they need, 
is a target man. Against a team like Wolves, who sit, were sitting deep, you need to mm. mix things up. Sometimes you need to get the ball in the box, and Liverpool got no one to, to but aim Dave, for. David makes a point, quite rightly, that they've been undone by counter-attacking teams. Which is the best counter-attacking team in the Premier League? Mm. Chelsea. Yeah. yeah, it's a very difficult game for them. Look, if you were to um, preview this game on current form, which which I guess we have to, then you say it's a Chelsea win. Easy. It's not a problem. But I just think football's got a funny habit mm. of throwing in surprise results. And Liverpool do have talent. Going forward, they can score goals against anybody, and that mm. is including Chelsea. So I think this is a, a really interesting and game. I think, Mark, there's another key issue, and... and you know, we'll never see the medical stats on what's happened at Liverpool because they would never release them. But that high-pressing style that he brought in, and they did brilliantly, mm. and it worked for them up to a point, they appear, to a layman's eye, to have hit a wall. They are not successful in doing that now, and teams are able to counter-attack. We saw the same thing last April with Tottenham, who played a similar high-pressing mm. to a point... Yeah. And it has been noted, I know, in football, you know, among backroom staff members, mm. how often the teams that think they could do that in English football for a season yeah. at some point hit the wall and need almost the breather and then could go again. Now, of course, with no winter shutdown, which Klopp's used to in the Bundesliga, and not, he's enough, not, get and not enough quality in reserve. It, it, it's all well and good. Yeah, if you're going to have burnout, it's fine. But if you've got the players to come in that, that but can make a difference. Aren't we making excuses mm. for players, you know, highly paid players? You take the example of Roger Federer, yeah. 35 years old, he won three five-set, five-hour matches mm -hmm. on the way to winning the Australian mm -hmm. Open at the weekend. We're moaning that a, a highly paid, highly tuned footballer can't do <laughs> two games in 72 hours. Managers are moaning, uh, or they're suggesting that. I, I don't buy it. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I mean, players in the, in, in the olden days, so we say, going back 20, 30, 40 years, would play just as many games. They wouldn't get injured. They'd play on pitches that were, were very heavy. The pitches are perfect these days. I think it's, it's nonsense. My, my view on it is, is quite simple. It's that there are so many squad players now. The, the squads are so much bigger. And these guys are being paid hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds a year. And there is an obligation to give these players a game. And I think it's as much about that as it is about resting the number one team. I think the resting part, the rotation, is almost used as an excuse. The one good thing that happened to Liverpool all the weekend was actually a bad thing. Go on. Sadio, Sadio Mane <laughs> ah. missing the penalty. They go out of the African uh, Cup of Nations. Yes. He's on a private plane, he probably be on the bench at least against well, Chelsea. I was, yes, and clearly I, I sense Liverpool have a, missed his pace, the tempo he brings and the pressing he brings yeah. up front yeah. for them. The converse side of this is the managers who are saying we're expecting too much from the players and the demands are too great, so suddenly you're putting pressure on a boy who's been away playing in Africa in a competitive tournament. He's got straight on a plane after the downer of missing the pen and now he's going to be Liverpool's saviour. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a crazy circle of just saying, oh, sadly, Omani's back, so all is well. You know, if anybody needs a break, you'd think it'd be him. And, you know, I do think yeah. the travelling part of it for that sort of thing, the, the global travel, does take a lot out of players. What about the nature of the club. You know, Liverpool is an emotionally driven mm. club. Mm. That can work for them. You know, we saw that against Dortmund, didn't we, mm. in, the, in the Champions mm. yeah, League. Yeah. 
but can it work against them? It can work against them, although I do think that the crowd are, are quite supportive compared to many other clubs. I, I do think that they stick with the players, they stick with the manager. I know there are some uh, some numpties that, you know, on the radio that are calling for <laughs> Jurgen Klopp to go. and you will, nonsense. You will there. always get that. Totally. You will always get that. But I think in, in the main, Liverpool fans are quite fair. And I don't think they'll get. I think they'll get right behind their team against Chelsea. They'll look at. They'll look at this and think we can help the team here. And I think that's where Liverpool have an advantage over over some clubs. The atmosphere at Anfield can be dead sometimes, but for big games, it, it is usually you know rock in there. And I believe that they will be the twelfth man or try to be. Let's look at it from Chelsea's point of view. Yeah. Um, this could be the week they wrap up the title. Liverpool Tuesday, Arsenal Saturday lunchtime. Yeah. I don't think they'll wrap it up, Mike, literally, in the sense of, but the statements it makes and the gap they've got now, yeah. the rest, the, the chasing pack are desperate. I mean, it's a fact, and I yeah, saw Stephen Gerrard was interviewed at the weekend where he said, Liverpool, A, have to beat Chelsea to keep their own title hopes alive, and B, will have the hopes of everybody else with them this week, saying, please do it, because we've got to try and hold Chelsea back into the pack. Yeah. Now, looking at some previous years where there have been turnarounds, two or three defeats coming quickly and for instance Chelsea lose two this week it will give everybody heart and sow the seed of doubt Men yeah mentally it could be an issue because it's two huge games and that ties you out as much as it yeah. can physically I think. Yeah. yeah but I say this David Luiz apart who I will always think has got a rick in him and something <laughs> could go wrong I just think Antonio Conte set that team up you know he's a brilliant coach he can clearly put out functional teams as he did at times with Italy. And you just look at it and think, you know what? He could take the draw on Tuesday night without a problem. Yeah, mm. that, that'll suit them. They don't ha Chelsea don't have to go and chase anything. And as I say, I've got this little view. You could just see him saying, OK, come on, let the bugles blow her off the cop. Let them all go chasing forward. And Chelsea are a great counter-attacking team. And I also think, got to say, in terms of Conte and his owner, I think Abramovich's way of dealing with the Diego Costa, let me get out to China in this thing, and the way that the word just came out, no, you're going nowhere, tell George Mendes he's going nowhere, just kill her, we will not sell him. It was basically, he'll rot here, he's not going. He so, you get, so you get, they, they did it early, quick, and we're efficient, and now you get on with winning the league. And Costa is sort of Chelsea in microcosm, because he's streetwise, yeah. you know, there's a bit of an edge to him. Not half. But he can, he's a big game player. Costa is a big game player. He's an animal, isn't he, in the attack? I just think he is one of the best centre forwards on the planet. When he's on it, he's so, so hard to contain. But Liverpool contained him fine in the first match at Stamford mm. Bridge. Only team to win at Stamford Bridge. Arsenal mm. nullified him completely at Emirates Stadium. Such controlled aggression from Mustafi and Koscielny mm. that particular day. They squeezed up. They, 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 they bumped into Diego Costa every right. time the ball went up to him. They've got to be brave enough to do that again at Stamford Bridge. That, if they do. That's the key. Yeah. It, the teams that have done well against him, particularly the, the centre-backs, you stand your ground, but you keep your hands down. You don't stop control. He'll make it and he want to put his head into your face. You don't do that. You know you've got it, but you don't let him think he can bully you, because if he does, he'll be all over the place. How do you think Arsenal will approach this on Saturday against Chelsea? I would like Arsenal to rip up the attacking formula that they've been using in the league actually for this game. I think they need to ditch plan B, which has worked fabulously over the Christmas period in January with, with Olivier Giroud leading the line and leading it expertly. He's done his job, he's scored goals, he's delivered. But I think now is the time for plan A to come back and that means Alexis up front, a fluid, all-pace attack 
with him flanked potentially by Danny Welbeck one side, Theo Walcott the other. I think if you ask Chelsea who they prefer to mark those three centre-halves mm. at the weekend, I think they would say Olivier Giroud. Mm. I would go with um, the formula they used at Southampton in the Cup with a really mobile attack because those three centre-backs have got to be dragged around. Drag mm. them around, holes will appear mm. in the middle. And that was a great... I say result, it was, the scoreline was great, but the within the game, the Danny Welbeck form oh. and the thing at the weekend, mm. because as Wenger's shown in the past, he will let him play wide left where he can attack from, but also against Chelsea, it helps block off their wing-backs as well, which mm. is a big, big danger as they're coming at you that they're going to release people. And I've got to say, mm. I can see Danny Welbeck being a key man been operating wide on the left. And the numbers don't lie. Arsenal scored 81 goals so far <laughs> yeah. this season. That's only 10 fewer than the whole of last season yeah. and in 21 games yes. fewer. Great stat, wasn't it? That? Yeah. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, that tells me that they've always got a chance in any game, whatever the occasion. Of course, yeah. Arsenal score goals. They've scored more than four goals away from home several times, multiple times this season. They're great going forward. I think this, this match, from their perspective, is all about how they nullify Chelsea, which is something that Arsene Wenger doesn't often concentrate on. He is all about what are we going to do with the ball, how are we going to hurt the opposition. I do think when you play Chelsea at the moment, especially at Stamford Bridge, you have to come up with a plan. And mm. the plan worked at Emirates Stadium. I know they've changed their system since Chelsea. They've gone to this three at the back. It doesn't matter, in my view. In terms of shackling... Costa, Hazard and co, Willian, you've got to shrink that space. It means pressing from the front, Alexis up top, working hard. And everyone put squeeze up to the halfway line. You don't leave any room for Costa, Hazard, Willian, Pedro, those guys to do the damage. That, I think, is the tactical blueprint. And, um, and Arsenal will get chances. And, and providing they're clinical, they can score one, two or three at Stamford Bridge, no problem. Mm. Arsene Wenger won't be on the touchline. Full match ban. That, to me, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. The only inconvenience he suffered at Southampton was probably, you know, the cucumber sandwiches mm. weren't quite up to scratch <laughs> in the boardroom. No. Should he have been made an example of? Yes, but he couldn't be, because it's a bit like any of us appearing in a magistrate's court where the tariffs are laid down and the panel looking at the what we're going to punish him with have to follow those tariffs. Do the tariffs work now, or should the FA, with the Premier League's backing, be reviewing their punishments? Yeah. Now, I remember when I was working in football, we had a there was a famous chairman of a club called Peter Hurd, who was the chairman of Colchester, and he was known as the hanging judge because he would chair the disciplinary panel, and, and you, you could go in with any appeal you wanted, but you knew the referee was right, and it would be case dismissed. And then one day we went in on the same day with an Alan Smith appeal and a Mark Bidukrup against when Red, you're at Leeds, yeah, yeah. At Leeds uh, against red cards, and we thought, if this is the hanging judge, we haven't got a prayer, and we walked in, and the chairman of the panel was Peter Coach from Stoke. So that was the first result, and believe it or not, and I think it was the first time it had ever happened, a club got two red cards rescinded in the same day by the FA. But, going back to your Wenger thing, they, those tariffs are laid down. The tariffs are not suitable. It's not right now. We've got to look at and pushing a fourth official, or any official, should merit a much tougher sanction. Touchline bans should be eradicated. It's as simple as that. I actually think... 
touchline bands are an advantage for a manager, especially when you can communicate yeah. with mm. the bench below. You've got a great view. Arsene Wenger had, a, had an outstanding view at Southampton of the match, and he could pass on whatever he liked. I think touchline bands should be binned, and we should bring in stadium bands. Every time a manager gets sent off, I don't, I, I don't mm. care whether it's Wenger, anybody else, one game stadium ban. That is a true punishment. Um, I think if you're dealing with touchline bans, four games that, is about right. But you don't think that if you actually start pushing officials and laying hands on them, that that merits more than just. Well, especially at a time when the FA are relaunching yeah, the respect campaign. I think, I think four games with, with touchline bans in existence, I think four games is about right. Two is too, too low. Ten, twelve was ridiculous. I, th I thought the media overhyped that, in my, in my opinion. I think four is about right. But a true punishment would be a stadium ban uh, of at least one game. But I just think it should be across the board. Ref gets, uh, manager gets sent off, one game stadium well, ban. I, the one I'd do, I'd, I think you're right about the touchline bans immaterial, they should be banned from the stadium, so they're actually out of it for the day. The one I would do now, the tariff should be tied to their wages. This thing about him getting fined 25,000... That's 10 to you, ab Absolutely, it? you know. <laughs> so they should be looking at, if it's a week's wages, and that's £250,000, it should be fine that. You'd stop it quickly then and make it that the manager has to pay the fine. Mm. A lot simpler, mm. Arsenal playing Watford first. Now, I looked at that game against Millwall and I saw a club without an identity, a team without any real belief mm. or hope. Mm. And also, did they actually care? Now, that to me is a team that's going to struggle to avoid getting relegated. Well, if we were looking at teams that have hit a wall spectacularly after making very good starts, you know, relative to their, mm. the standard they're at, I think the mm -hmm. ultimate one we're seeing this year is Watford. They they are in a mess, and this slide has started, and it is a case of how they get out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, in true, when Matt Zari's talking about, I have a three-year plan, there's not been a manager at Watford who's lasted <laughs> that for however many. Forget it. You've got to get this sorted out. Now, they seem to be standing by him at the moment, but but the pressures, and, and like last year, you looked at the, the strike force, you know, Dini and Igalo getting all those goals, it, it, it saves you any problem because you know you've got goals in your team and they were safe with it. The whole sort of blueprint of what they had and what the strengths were, it's just gone. It's, it's weird. It's a very spectacular collapse. And, it, and my only thought for them is they may survive because of what happens with the bottom three. Mm. But Igalo, for instance, mm. you know, classic one season wonder, and they're talking about trying to ship him out to China. Yeah. Is that the problem when you've got, I think it's 57 players that they've used over three seasons? You can't get any consistency or continuity with that. Yeah, you? the turnover was bound to catch up on them eventually mm. in terms of managerial turnover and, and playing personnel. The, the, you mentioned the word team identity and they've got away with that because they've had good individuals like Igalo, Hot Street, mm. Dini, I, I think there's been a real talisman for them. But, but you look at the team now, it's been chopped and changed so, so much. You couldn't name Watford's best 11. I don't think Masari is anywhere close to knowing his best mm. 11. Even maybe his best shape. He's had three at the back, four mm. at the back. He's trying every, everything he possibly can. Yeah, I think they, they're they on the slide. I would lump on Arsenal in this game. I think, they, I think they're going to win quite handsomely, to be perfectly honest, based on what I've seen of Watford lately. Mm. What about Manchester City, David? They're at West Ham, another BT game on, mm. on Wednesday. Um, obviously, you know, memory fresh of them walking all over them in the FA mm. Cup. Where are City now? Are they, uh, have they had their blip? Do you know, Simon, I think they're probably the most unpredictable team in the Premier League 
in that you see them on a good day and you think, golly me, what a team <laughs> this is looking like and they can beat anybody. And I thought that was, if you're a City fan, that was a heartening cup win for them at the weekend down at Palace. You know, on a horrible yes. day, the weather was appalling. You looked at the team he had out, he had a lot of the, should we say, lighter weight, skillful pleasure, and they came through that with flying colours and did really well. Most of all, and this has been the biggest weakness all season, it was nil against yeah. them, which was a rarity <laughs> because of the issues with the goalkeeper and the defence mm -hmm. in front of him. Be three Company back, is that a I was just going to say, and the next thing is, Vinnie Company's back. Vinny's well, looked. How long is he back for? Well, I was just going to say, my words were going to be, <laughs> Vinny's looked as if he's made of glass for the last two years, and there's an injury around the corner, and he's in danger of, you know, shattering. That's your big worry. Right. But clearly, if if they can keep company fit, and they keep the nils, they can start going back up the table again. Let's not let Guardiola pull the wool over our eyes with company. It feels as if he's trying to paint the picture of, oh, now that we've got company back, things will be much more solid. He has been available to him earlier on in the season. He chose not to use him. He was trying to build his team around other players, mm. and ultimately they haven't been coached well enough defensively. The organisation hasn't been good enough without the ball. So, look, Guardiola is a, is a top manager, isn't he? You would like to think that behind the scenes he's working day and night, or certainly morning and afternoon, on his back four, on what they do without the ball. Because if City do improve that side of their game, they're a proper team. I, th I think, to be fair to him, Guardiola has been working on that. I think there's been a couple of games recently where you'd think, has anybody been listening to what he's been in? But he has been trying to get it right. Because he, he spoke at Palace about that being a vision of the future, that performance. Mm. You know, Sane coming on, Gabriel Jesus, mm. who, who looks a real player. Mm. Mm. Um, what do you think City will look like this time next year? Gosh, that's a really good question because of the number of players whose contracts are going to be out. Mm. And, I mean, I, I am assured that the funding will be there for him to go and buy, and I say whoever he wants, but if the market's there, I'm, you know, he can go and do what he wants. There'll be another... Two hundred million pound to spend. I think. I think the key issues you've got. He has to get in people like. Oh, he's got to sort the goalkeeping situation mm -hmm. out. He's got to sort out the centre back thing. And he's got a personal view of needing dynamic, quick fullbacks who can lead the line and, and, and lead the attacks and where you can switch play to them. He's not had that all season. So I think there's places you can see it. I think he'll get the money to do it. Yeah. The big problem is, I think he's had a chastening experience, especially with his goalie, Claudio Bravo, who, who fundamentally is not up to being a Premier League goalie. Yeah. Two central midfielders, two full-backs, another centre-back and a keeper. He doesn't need to buy any, any more forward players. I hope, he, if I was a City fan, I'd be hoping that Guardiola, whatever war chest he's given, I would hope that he spends it entirely on players from the central midfield backwards. Mm. Are we going to... It looks like it's been a quite a quiet window, mm. all things considered. OK, West Ham have rid themselves of, of Paye, but let's not forget they've made a £15 million profit on that. Yeah. Um, this has been quite a quiet window, hasn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of clubs, a lot of the more successful teams are wary of buying it for the sake of it in January and you're left with, well, who who is uh, actually available and are there any of them going to sell to each other? You know, you're selling to a rival mm. if the quality's there. So I think that is a problem. So you do tend to find that the majority of work is clubs basically panicking. And part of that thing has been West Ham, who have had the rally in the last month, but looking at the January window. And, and Paye has forced the hand to a degree with some of the things. 
if you'd looked at it last season, Payo has been acclaimed as West Ham's greatest ever yeah. player and surpassing Bobby Moore and Tevez as this is the most wonderful thing and he's here for life. So that's how football can change. Speaking of panic, we've got to mention Crystal Palace. OK. Yeah. Because if you look at you know their transfer policy, which yeah. seems to be you know back of a fag packet stuff at the moment, <laughs> you've got Jeffrey Schlupp, who incidentally, I'm told, is injured already. You've got Patrick van Arnholt coming in. Collectively about 27 million. <laughs> Jenkins and from Arsenal, perhaps. Yeah. That is, that to me suggests that Sam, Sam Allardyce is not quite sure what he's going to do with this one. No, they're in a bit of a pickle, aren't they? It's not happening for Big Sam at Palace. The players haven't responded to, to his words, to his methods yet. We keep thinking they will, but, but time is running out for them. I've got to say... I'm a bit dubious about the money they're spending on, on the, that type of player. I think Jeff Slurp is, is, a, is a more than adequate Premier League player, um, but he's not a great defender. And I wouldn't say that he was a wonderful winger either. He's, he's betwixt and between. And I would say that Patrick Van Anholt is one of the worst left-backs from a defensive point of view, positionally, that I've ever seen in the Premier League. So to spend over £10 million on him... I just can't believe it. So I, I'm wondering, is, is he going to use him on, on the left wing? Because he is good going forward. But I would question Palace's judgment there because I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of the goals Sunderland have conceded over the last two seasons have been down to Patrick Van Anholt's diabolical positioning. And, and of course, Sam worked with him. You know what I mean? It's like mm. sometimes you get a manager said, I know what this guy can do and he'll block this up and well, he'll do the well, job. Well, let's, have... let's look at David Moyes. Now, OK, he's used Van Hoort as his bargaining chip. You know, I'll take 10, 12 million from that and, and that's the only money available to me. But he's basically getting the band together again, isn't mm. he? You know, uh, Lescott's gone in. Uh, looks like Oviedo is going. Garen, Darren Gibson is going there. Mm. He's basically recreating Everton brick by <laughs> yeah. brick, isn't he? Tony Hibbert? <laughs> Only a matter of time. Him and Leon Osman, I suppose. Yeah, I, I've got to say, Mike, I think more than creating the uh, Blues Brothers tour, um, he's probably got his hands so firmly tied with Ellis Short's sort of attitude to spending any money uh, that he's just going for some lads he knows who know he's the way that he's jacked it in, isn't he? The man well, the well, he's, 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 he, Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think David Moyes is just... I mean, the, 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 they are the last throw for him, aren't they? That If they come off... As we know, there's one thing you can't do in sport, which is make a clock go backwards, despite what Roger Federer's achieved. You know? <laughs> but generally, the chance of that happening, and he was a class act at his very peak, you look at some of those boys going in and the age they are now, it's a huge aspect. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to see what happens. So I don't think West Ham have given up completely on Jermaine Defoe yet. I don't think they have. Cause this, this is the reason I, I believe they haven't signed Scott Hogan yet. They're still holding out for, for Jermaine Defoe. And I see they've been linked with... Leandro Ujoa Sunderland. Mm. Now, if they were to sell Defoe at the last minute, bring in Ujoa, okay, Ujoa is a decent player, but, but that I is, think that it'd is, be grounds. It'd be that grounds a, but that's that, a championship player. No, it'd be grounds for resignation. For yeah. To be perfectly honest, I think, I think Moyes would almost, it'd almost be in his interest to, to just walk call away. it quits, walk away, before his, before his reputation is damaged even more because he's not going to get the support from Sunderland. No, the suggestion is that Ellis Short will sell at £50 million for... Mm. Jermaine Defoe. Now, if they get the 15... 50, 50, no, one five, <laughs> 50, no, 15, 15 million and he goes yeah. is the claim. Now, again, given his age, etc., you can't believe mm -hmm. that somebody would pay that. But uh, uh, as we've told you... I just paid to, where, over what, 10 for Font, who's, yeah, yeah, who's, who's well, a veteran himself. Yeah, yeah, where that would leave David Moyes, 
I yeah. hate to say. It's extraordinary just to think that, you know, he was the anointed one at Manchester United. Now, Jose Mourinho is someone who buys teams mm. to a large degree, yeah. gets the players in and makes them better by working with them. Will Manchester United, are they now in the mood to actually make a massive statement in the transfer market next summer? A Griezmann or even a Gareth Bale? I think, well, I think Griezmann will end up at Man United next summer. I do. I th and I think there'll be other interests. I think Arsenal will be in there. Maybe even Manchester. I think Manchester United will get him. I think by then, if not in the Chinese window to the end of February, I think Wayne Rooney will be out the door. So they're saving £300,000 a week in wages. Mm. So I think with the Rooney thing resolved, to, in, with everybody happy... Do you think Rooney will go to China? I think Rooney will go to China and I think it could happen because... In the next month, because the Chinese window doesn't close till February 28th. So yeah, I think no, that, I that's there. I and agree. I think the money that is on offer to him, I think there is a view that he can't say no to that. And the suggestion that he could earn more in three years in China than in his entire Premier League career just makes it the sort of no-brainer bit for... for Wayne Rooney and also for Paul Stratford, his agent, who's trying to work out the next the next step forward. You see, that would sadden me yeah. because you know that to me is almost selling the shirt, isn't it? Yeah, I, d I don't like the idea of it at all. I, I think deep down Wayne Rooney wouldn't want to go to China, would he? I mean, I think if he was going to leave Old Trafford, it, maybe go to Everton. I always thought that he would go full circle and and, and end up at Goodison Park. Uh, but no, he'd be writing off his England career. Well, he is, but, but don't you think it could be written off? All I'm saying is right. Without telling you, this is what Wayne Rooney should do. Yeah. If you're looking at advising Wayne Rooney at the moment, as we sit here now, mm. Wayne Rooney is the captain of Manchester United, the captain of England, and is the record goal scorer for Manchester United. And has that lovely picture with Sir Bobby mm. handing over the trophy. Realistically, and every Manchester United fan knows it, Rooney is becoming a bit part player it's at done, Manchester yeah. United <laughs> and will not be in the England squad long term. So if you had a moment to market him to get the next stage tied down for three years because yeah. Wayne Rooney's pride will not want him being a squad player if he's even that at Manchester United. Mm. Now, I think the Everton thing with Koeman has gone anyway because mm. I don't think he'd take him. No, maybe not. They, mm. It's also in Manchester United's interest to sell Wayne Rooney to China. We haven't found out what they would be prepared to pay in a transfer fee. Judging by what these clubs have, have given Chelsea for their players, then Manchester United could, it, it could almost fund the move mm. for Griezmann mm. with, with the, the wages they save and the fee that they get for yeah. Wayne Rooney. So from, from their point of view, I'm, I'm not surprised sense. that United are saying, come on, Wayne, it's OK if you want to go. And the other thing which ties in with this, the sort of logic of having an agreed course for the exit do you remember when Cantona left and he retired and Alex Ferguson came afterwards and said the luckiest break he had as a manager was the day Eric knocked on the door because they knew from his physical stats mm. in games and what was happening and what they could see, he wasn't the power, but <clears throat> well, the fans weren't going to accept Eric and Eric's track record was left out of the team for a bit, he started kicking off and it would have got messy. So actually... Eric deciding off his own bat to retire, and Alec used to go on about one of the key things you've got to deal with is when the hero decides he's not happy with something, how do you get him out the door? Now, Alec dealt with Brian Robson's sort of retirement and being a player manager at Middlesbrough, which he went off and did with his blessing. And I can see a way that Manchester United, at some point in the next six months, will find an exit route for Wayne Rooney with their blessing that he's happy with. And I think it works that way. Okay, let's finish by looking at a team at the other end of the cycle, yeah. Tottenham. Yes. 
you know, they, they play Middlesbrough in the BT Sport game on Saturday. Um, are they capable of avoiding what seems to have been happening to Liverpool? I think they're capable of it, but they need to get lucky with the injuries. I think we saw, didn't we, in the FA Cup game that, that their backups are maybe not, well, they're not at the same level. And it's a big gulf between their first 11 and what's what's underneath. And that is what's what will hamper their title bid, no doubt about that. Obviously, they've lost defenders, haven't they? Um, Alderweire has been out, yeah. Tongan has been out. So, so that's an issue. But no, I think that Pochettino, I just make it, I think he's an, an elite manager. And... I think that his team are, are further down the line than Liverpool in terms of what, where they are structurally and with the tactics that he that he loves to employ. So I don't see it crashing around. I don't think it all, it's all going to fall down for Spurs, put it that way. But but injuries are the problem for them more than anything else. Mm, and some strange stuff going on with Lamella, it seems to me. Mm. No one really knows what's going on there. No, and that's what I was just going to say, Matt, that they did hit the wall last year. There were suggestions from inside the building that the players, they felt, or some of them felt, they were being overtrained at the end of the season. I think it was after the European campaign yeah. ended, and they just fell away in the league, and so the whole. But thing surely happened. Pochettino would would reckon, be able to recognise well, that and learn from it. Surely you would hope so. Yeah, but it's yeah. just if that's what his background is, and he's expecting that yeah. intensity mm. and doing double sessions. And, and, and listen, we all know it. Players make excuses, so maybe that was the excuse the Tottenham players made made last April, May time. Well, it's, it's, it's the same, lost the legs, it's the same you know? factor with Liverpool, isn't it? Where they play that high-intensity game, but they haven't got the, the depth to rest and rotate. So burnout is a, is a real issue. Mm. We look at Delhi Alley logically, has yeah. to have a blip at some stage. Yeah. But he's just burning the whole place down. Well, he had his blip at the start of the season, didn't he? He wasn't, he was, he wasn't brilliant up until sort of October, November time. Very quiet. He hadn't scored too many goals. And, but since then, he's just yeah. been unbelievable, hasn't he? What a finisher. What a prospect. When I was his age, I was happy enough to play for the reserves. <laughs> um, but, but he's playing in Tottenham's first team and he's you know, arguably their most talented player. Uh, so he's going to enjoy an, an unbelievable career, Deli Alley. And it's, for Spurs' point of view, it's all about can they keep him in the long term? Because I, I'm, I believe that the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid will be monitoring him very closely, and he could be the next one off abroad, like Gareth Bale. Well, Spurs are vulnerable, but they believe, and that counts for a lot. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.